0: To the final week of Christmas at the Movies. I can't believe that we've gotten to the end of this already. Uh, I can't believe that next Sunday is Christmas Eve, that we're already facing the end of an old year and the beginning of a new year. That's phenomenal. Uh, Mama always told me, and I thought she was going a little bit senile, that the older you get, the faster time goes by. And I thought, yeah, Sure. I'm finding out she was right about a whole lot of things, and that was just one of them. But uh, we've had a blast sharing uh, these last two weeks and this week with you. Uh, We have a blast decorating the church and doing all the things that we do. I know it's not necessary, but uh, for three weeks we just kind of put... Church as usual to the side and just kind of do something special Something you will remember, the kids will always remember it And that's why we do Christmas at the movies And of course because Christmas Eve falls on Sunday We're going to kind of get back to a normal church service next week But how many of you are ready to get started today? Have you enjoyed this? Amen Now I'm going to try to parse my words here uh, Because I realize we've got some little ones in here So you'll just have to kind of read between the lines I don't know what you teach in your house. I'm not going to try to condemn you or encourage you in any direction. However, for little kids, writing letters to Santa Claus is a big deal. When they think that the big man controls what they're getting, it's a big deal. I mean, that's a lot of pressure you put on a kid because there's a lot on the line. I mean, he hypothetically could give them any present in the world that they could ask for, or they could get a stocking full of coal. So I'm not sure how you handled that in your house. I know what we did. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to go there. I don't want to. I know there's little ears listening. I just know that when you, little kids that are writing to Santa because they want Santa to bring them something, it, it, it's a it's a lot of pressure. No wonder sometimes they get a little unhinged. And I got two letters I want to share with you this morning. And the first one could have been written by young Albert Mitchum. Dear Santa, I want to order a french fries, a computer, and a chicken nugget. Just one. Just one. I'm glad, you know, they put the computer in the middle I, and, and the order of french fries, I understand, but, I mean, wouldn't they want at least four chicken nuggets? <laughs> not this kid. He's like, if I get the computer, I'll live with one chicken nugget, Santa Claus. And then the next, the next letter could have been uh, written by my wife. Dear Santa, um, I think you're a fat man. And I'm not leaving you any cookies because Mrs. Claus said you're on a diet. You need to stay away from the junk food. And don't eat too much on your trip around the world. That's why I'm leaving you vegetables this year with ultra skim milk. I hope you lose some weight. <laughs> because with all those toys and you, I start to feel sorry for Dasher Dancer Prancer Vixen Comet Cupid Donner Blitzen and Rudolph. I'm sure I sure hope you brought everything I asked for. <laughs> Well, since I didn't see you this year in person, I hope to see you next year. Love you. Bye, Jennifer. (laughs) I believe you're a fat man. You need to lose some weight. I feel sorry for your reindeer. I hope you brought me everything I asked for. (laughs) I think Jennifer's going to have to learn how to butter up a man a little better than that. (laughs) That's not the way to a man's heart. Taking his food away from him and giving him vegetables is not the way to a man's heart, ladies. Just so you know. Now, we think, at, 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 we think Christmas is pretty special around here. And because of that, uh, I think Christmas should be the focus all year long. Because the focus of Chris, Christmas should be Jesus. And so Jesus should be the focus all year long, right? So, so not just in December... Not just for a few weeks out of the year, but we believe that the focus of Christmas should be the focus the whole year. So this year, at the movies, I specifically designed it to have a theme. And the theme is, take Christmas with you. That all through the year, I've been trying to give you teachable and timely lessons. Things that aren't just appropriate for right now, in this season, while you're celebrating Christmas. But things that actually will help set you up for a better new year. And if, uh, if if you're going to take notes, I'm going to give you a lot of tidbits. This movie this morning happens to be my favorite Christmas movie, and because of that, um, my prayer is that you experience Jesus and all His glory not just now, but all year long. So I want to introduce the movie now. Let's look at the trailer.
1: Well, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel.
2: What is it you want, Mary? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Welcome home, Mr. Bailey. Sentimental Hogwarts. I wish I had a million dollars. <laughs> Hot dog! Mr. and Mrs. Martini, welcome home. This is what I wished for.
1: You see, George... You really had a wonderful life. Yeah!
3: Merry Christmas! Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: So this morning, it's a wonderful Life is the movie that we're looking at. It's been ranked for many years as one of the top 100 movies of all time. For a number of years, it was voted the most inspirational movie in the world. It's one of the most popular Christmas movies, although it has nothing to do with Christmas. It's actually just set at Christmas time, part of the movie. You, you have to go through almost two hours of the movie before it actually gets to Christmas and, and what we're gonna be looking at specifically this morning. Uh, but it's, it's, I'm sure that most of you, if you've never seen the movie, you're familiar with the one phrase every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. So, It's a Wonderful Life is based on a short story called The Greatest Gift. And the author could not find a publisher for his story. So he decided one time to just self-publish his story. And he started writing it in his Christmas cards. Can you imagine getting Christmas cards every year with a short story? (laughs) A short story uh, handwritten in in his Christmas cards. And uh, eventually the story was seen by Frank Capra, who purchased the, the rights and made the movie. It was released by RKO Studios in 1946. It stars uh, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy Stewart had just gotten back from World War II where he was an airplane pilot. And Donna Reed was a young uh, 20-something up-and-coming actress. And interestingly enough, the movie was considered to be a box office flop. Two reasons for that. Number one was because of the high production cost. If you've ever seen the movie, you'll be like, Where? doesn't seem to be a whole lot of high production, but I guess uh, things have changed since the 1940s uh, as far as uh, the way that they make movies now and the way they made movies then. But there was a lot of stiff competition in the movies uh, back then, and that was the second reason that it was considered a flop because uh, the other movies out-earned it uh, that was out at the time. The movie centers around a man, if you've never seen it, named George Bailey. He's played by Jimmy Stewart. He's a good man, and what you find out in the first part of the movie is that he consistently puts the needs of other people ahead of himself. Even to the point where the, his whole life, he grew up dreaming of being a world traveler. He wanted to be an architect. He wanted to build big, impressive bridges and buildings. He, wanted, he had a lot of dreams and a lot of ambitions, but what eventually happens is he has to give up the dreams of college and traveling the world. Because his father dies, he ends up staying there in Bedford Falls and taking over the building and loan, which he never wanted to do. He told his dad one time when his dad asked him if he'd come back from college and work at the building and loan, he said, I would lose my mind if I felt like I had to argue over two cents off of a length of pipe. It's just too small. I want to do big things. But what eventually happens is, George, over and over and over again, puts the needs of other people ahead of his own self. As a matter of fact, his younger brother, Harry, one time, when they were children, fell through the ice. George jumped in and saved Harry, and he ended up losing hearing in one of his ears because he got a bad infection from jumping into the cold water. So he was constantly putting other people ahead of himself. And the turning point of the movie, which is where we're going to pick it up, happens on Christmas Eve George is in control of the building alone with his uncle Billy his uncle Billy accidentally loses $8,000 and it just so happens that that day the bank examiner has come to audit the books so all of a sudden we're introduced to the villain of the movie his name is Henry Potter he's the richest man in town, he owns the bank He owns all the businesses, and he hates the building alone. He wants to buy it and shut it down. And because he hates the building alone, he hates George. He hated George's father because these were the two people in town he couldn't buy off. He was able to buy everybody else. He was able to buy whatever he wanted, but there was two things out of control— Building and Loan and George Bailey, and it drove him nuts. And he actually is the one who ended up with the $8,000 missing dollars. And he uses that as leverage to get a warrant sworn out for George's arrest. And now George, not only is George going to probably go to prison, there's going to be a huge uh, opportunity for him to buy and close down his competition. So let's take a look at this scene before we go on.
1: Look, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. What is it you want, Mary?
2: You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Dad,
3: how do you spell hallelujah?
2: How should I know? What do you think I am, a dictionary? Tommy, stop that, stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it, stop it! I'm sorry, Mary. Janie, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. You go on and practice. Pete, I owe you an apology too. I'm sorry. What do you want to know?
3: Nothing, Daddy.
2: What's the matter with everybody? Janie, go on. I told you to practice. Now go on, play! Oh, Daddy!
3: (laughs) George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you...
2: for 247, please. Is Daddy in trouble? Yes, Pete. Shall I pray for him? Yes, Jenny, pray very hard. Me too? You too, Tommy. Hello? Uncle Billy? I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I need help. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters
3: wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too, who's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Please. Can't you see what it means to my
2: family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building
3: and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books?
2: No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere.
3: You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police?
2: No, sir, I I didn't want the
3: publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow? (laughs) You ain't going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir. No, sir. I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other
2: friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? Have you got any stocks? No, sir. Bond, real estate, collateral of any kind?
2: I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes, uh, how
3: much is your equity in it? $500. $500. And you asked me to lend you $8,000. Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? A miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive.
0: You're worth more dead than alive. He just spoke a curse over George's life. And because of that, There's some Christmas presents that I want you to take with you all year. We're going to use that as a jumping off point to give you some Christmas presents to take with you all year long. And the very first one is this. The truth matters, opinions don't. Because what you're going to see uh, going forward is that George believed the lie that he was worth more dead than alive. And you may not understand how that works in your life, but when People speak their opinions over you and you receive their opinions as truth. It makes you make decisions. You make decisions based upon how your parents spoke to you, how teachers spoke to you, how your spouse speaks to you, how bosses speak to you. And you may not understand that. That's why you need to keep going forward into the new year. You need to keep in your mind that the truth about who you are matters. Opinions not so much. I found out the longer I've lived that we always seem to want to reduce life in size. Instead of making it bigger, we're always trying to make it smaller. We try to make ourselves appear smaller. We, we try to have humility and, and hide, and, and we don't want to speak uh, our, and, and be known. And, and that's not what God tells us. God tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that the thief comes except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, we try to make our lives smaller, but God wants us to make our lives bigger. And He even said, I sent my son. The message of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us, because Jesus came to live with us. And the reason Jesus came to live with us was to make our life abundant. Now, there is, however, in this scripture, a thief. And I'm going to give you, uh, uh, before we move on, I'm going to give you that the thief steals from you by one specific tool. He's got one thing that he uses to steal from you, and that is by telling you lies. There are some robbers of the abundant life. And that's what Jesus was talking about. I, I don't have time to... Break it all down, but in John chapter 10, he was talking about how a shepherd watches over his flock of sheep. And he has to be very diligent at night that the thief doesn't come and steal, kill, and destroy what it is he is protecting. And you have uh, been given a great gift from God, and, and that gift is your life. And, and he said, I've come that you can have an abundant life, but you have to guard it. Because there's a thief trying to steal, kill, and destroy out of your life. So there are some robbers of the abundant life. Are you ready? The first one is this, seeking the treasure. I've heard people say my whole life that, man, if I could ever just retire, I would really be happy. Or if I could ever just take a cruise. If I could go and see the world, that's what George Bailey wanted to do. George Bailey wanted to go and see the world and build big things and he thought that that would make him happy. But when you seek the treasures of life, a lot of people have found out you can have a lot of stuff and still be empty. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been the richest and the wisest man who ever lived. And by the time he's old, he's writing this book called Ecclesiastes. And verse uh, chapter 1 verse 8 says this, The eye is not satisfied by seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, you can never get enough to be satisfied. If all you want is stuff, there's always more stuff to get. Have you ever looked on television or heard a news story about some famous person that you thought had it all together? I mean, they've got fame, they've got riches, everybody loves them, they want to be them, they idolize them, and they have committed suicide. And you say, how can somebody who has that much going for them end it all? Because you can have all the stuff and still be empty. Because the ear is never filled by hearing. The eye is never filled by seeing. And if you are only pursuing pleasure, eventually you will find out you can never get enough. Because it's going to take a bigger thrill, a bigger event for you to get a bigger high. And that high will never last. And you'll just be chasing things the rest of your life and it will rob the abundant life from you. The second thing, and this is new in this generation, glamorizing the grind. We have made overworking in this generation a badge of honor. The generations before us worked hard, but they also rested. And we have turned into this generation, we have turned into glamorizing that I never shut down, I never stop. I got my grind on 24-7. That will rob from you the abundant life. Because eventually, workaholics learn that one satisfaction is short-lived. So you can complete one task, and then you're going to have to challenge yourself to meet another task. I I was watching an interview one time with a, a professional tennis player who won Wimbledon. And he, his whole life, from the time he was three years old, the first time he ever picked up a racket, he thought, if I could ever win Wimbledon, that would be the pinnacle, that would be the epitome of my success, and my life would be complete. And they interviewed him years later, and he said, the joy of winning Wimbledon lasted 15 minutes. Because I immediately started thinking, I have to train to defend my title. So you have to understand, the the Bible says in Ecclesiastes again, chapter 4 and verse 8, Man is always working, never satisfied. And that's what happens to us when we work, 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 and never take time to relax and enjoy the blessings God has given us. There's been a myth circulating for years that success produces life. But actually success will drain life because it's always pursuing the wrong things. Next, and that leads us to the next robber of your abundant life, the stuff trap. Can I tell you, my whole life I've heard uh, people trying to heat the one who dies with the most toys wins. But I have, the older I've gotten, adjusted that saying a little bit. The one who dies with the most stuff still dies. And what I found out is the older I've got, stuff matters less to me than people do. Stuff becomes events, making memories, becomes more important than accumulating things. I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes again, chapter 5 and verse 10. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it that I have more money than I've ever had before and yet I'm less contented because most of us are making more today than we were 10 years ago 20 years ago you have more money now than you did then but most of us if we're honest we're less contented and part of that comes from the next robber of our abundant life posturing for position too often people think that they have to achieve a certain level in order to uh, be successful. If I don't have kids by the time I'm 30, if I haven't paid off our home by the time I'm 50, if I haven't got to be the CEO by the time, and we're always posturing for another position. The problem with that is you're chasing something that's never going to bring happiness because people that reach that position still find out that there's another position to chase. George Bailey heard a curse spoken over his life. He said, You are worth more dead than alive. And George agreed with it. So now he feels that he has let everybody down. Why? Because his whole life has been leading up to the the saving of the building and loan. And now, because of $8,000 missing, it seems like his whole life's work is going to be for nothing. There's going to be scandal. He's gonna to go to prison. The building alone that he fought so hard to save, gave up all his dreams to save, is gonna to fall to Potter anyway. And all of his lifelong work is gonna to come to nothing. And he decides that he's worth more to his family, dead than alive. He's got a $15,000 life insurance policy, and he's going to, he decides he's gonna jump off the bridge and let his family spend that money but if you remember when you watched the clip the little child asked should we pray for daddy all over town people started praying for George Bailey and heaven heard prayer now what I'm about to tell you is a good story but it's bad theology come back next Sunday and I'll preach good theology This is bad theology. This is not how it really works. Because heaven heard the prayers and heaven's answer was Clarence Oddbody, angel, second class. And when Clarence comes to help George, if he's successful helping George, Clarence will get his wings. And we'll know Clarence got his wings because... Every time the bell rings, that's bad theology. Don't believe that. It's a good movie. It's a good story. Bad theology. It doesn't really work that way, okay? But just before George jumps off the bridge, Clarence decides he's going to jump in before him. And just like George's character is, George decides to put his plans on hold of jumping off the bridge and killing himself, he decides to jump off the bridge and save Clarence. Because Clarence knew that was the only way to get him to not jump off the bridge himself. So they both end up rescued. They both end up uh, wet and, and cold. And they're having their clothes um, uh, dried. And they start having a conversation. And I, I did some research for this sermon. One of the common traits of Christmas time, and this is not going to happen to anybody in this room because you're going to love everything you get. But one of the common traits of Christmas time is a lot of people get gifts they really don't want. And when they ask people what they do with those gifts, 31% of the people said they keep it and never use it. Now you know where all that stuff came from. When you get ready to move and you say, How did we get all this stuff? It's all them gifts you didn't want. So Over the years, they just kept giving you stuff and you're like, Oh, that's nice. hide it. I don't know how bad the gift has to be for somebody to hide it. But 30% hide it. 13% throw it in the garbage. Listen, that's that's better than one out of ten things you've given people has went in the trash. Think about that next time you're overspending. Uh, 12% of the people re-gift it. You know, you gave it to them last year, they're giving it to somebody else this year. And six percent return it. And the stores, the stores know this. The, the stores know that very few people ever return these gifts. That's why they, they 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 they're not afraid to put specials and sales and black friday deals out because they know the stuff's not coming back. Even if you don't like it, only six percent return it. George Bailey had a gift. It's called life, but he no longer appreciated the gift. He didn't want it anymore. His gift was precious, but his world seems to be falling apart around him. And he just knew he was going to lose his business. He was going to lose his livelihood. He was in trouble for something. If you noticed on the clip, he took the blame, even though it was Uncle Billy that lost the money. Because George is always putting his needs behind the needs of other people. He did not do this. But he's the one's going to face bankruptcy and scandal and probably prison. But how do you convince a man that the gift he wants to throw away is too valuable to be destroyed? Well, the angel had a solution. He granted George Bailey's wish. George Bailey said, I wish I had never been born. Potter spoke a curse over him. You're worth more dead than alive. George Bailey believed that curse and repeated it and said, I wish I had never been born. Clarence, the angel, shows George what it was like what life would be like if he'd never been born. And that's this clip. Look, who are you?
1: I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know, you told me that.
2: What else are you, what are you, you a hypnotist? No, of course not. Well then why am I seeing all these strange things?
1: Don't you understand, George?
2: It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody.
1: You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You have no papers, no cards, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. They're not there either. What? Zuzu's petals. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Now, wait a minute here, wait a minute
2: here. Oh, this is some sort of a funny dream I'm having. So long, Mr. I- I'm going home. Home what home? Now, shut up! Cut it out! You- you- you're-, you- you're crazy, that's what I think. You're, you're screwing! Driving me crazy, too. I'm seeing things here. I'm going home and see my wife and family. You understand that? And I'm going
0: home alone. So George is going to go home. But what George finds out is he don't have a home. Because nothing is normal in town, all because George Bailey had never been born. He finds out that because he had never been born, the town that he worked so hard to save from Potter... And protect had become a den of iniquity and evil. He found out that the pharmacist who he worked for when he was a little boy. He had helped that pharmacist not make a bad mistake and poison the little boy. That pharmacist ended up poisoning the little boy. Going to prison and he's become the town drunk. He finds out that his brother Harry who he saved from the ice. Because George wasn't there to save Harry. Harry died. died. And in the war, Harry had grown up to become a war hero. He had saved countless dozens of men on a a ship. But all of those men had died because George wasn't there to save Harry. And he'd married this beautiful woman. And they'd had all these wonderful kids. And he finds out that because he had never been born, she ended up an old maid, never married. And his children and his home didn't exist. George could not see the value in his life. Because he said what a lot of you probably say, what difference can one person make? I mean, think about it. There are 8 billion people on the planet right now. So how could one person feel important? So there is a present I want you to take with you into the new year because the world seems to have forgotten and the church needs to remind you. You need to find the treasure in each person. Listen, Jesus died not just for preachers. Not just for church members. He died for every single person. And that makes every life very important. But the thief has stolen the feeling of importance from so many people. In this day and age we're so angry at other people that don't agree with us or think like us or vote like us or act like us or or do what we think they should do and we don't think they're important because they're not on our team. And we see people in life that have problems that we don't have. Maybe they're a drug addict. Maybe they've been divorced. Maybe, they're, uh, maybe they've been convicted and tried of, of heinous things. And because they have problems that we don't have, we look at them and we're disgusted by them. And we don't think that they hold any value. But what we all need to realize is there's somebody that feels that way about you. But that doesn't diminish your value any because it's not their opinion that matters. It's heaven's opinion of who you are. And heaven thinks you're valuable. The bottom line is this. Every life is important because a king gave his life to save you. So let's make sure going into this new year that we start looking for the treasure in every person. Now, some folks, you're going to have to look harder than others. I'm not denying that. Some of you are going to be like, you ain't going home with this joker. I understand. and I cannot be more empathetic for you. But you're going to have to look harder, but there is value in each life. And by the way, can I tell you that while you're discovering the treasure in everybody else, realize that you too are full of treasure and destiny and purpose and God feels that same way about you that he feels about them. Let's take a look at our next clip.
1: Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? I've heard of things like this. You've got me some
2: kind of a spell or something. Well, I'm going to get out of it. I'll get out of it. I know how, too. I... Now, the last man I talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was Martini. You know where he lives? Well, sure I know where he lives. He lives in Bailey Park. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park.
1: But where are the houses? We went here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie.
2: Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives
1: of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence!
2: Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back, I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again.
0: Once George realized the value of life, he wanted to live again. He realized he actually had a wonderful life. Sometimes you got to be taken out of the situation to see how valuable the situation is, right? And he realized that his life added value, not just, not just to himself, but to a lot of people. And our next present that, we wanna, that I want you to take with you is to focus forward. Let me preface this by asking two questions. One is this, how much time have you wasted this year? Worrying about things that never happened. And how much time did you waste being upset over things that you had no control over? Now you take all of that time that you wasted. And wouldn't it have been better to have done something productive with it? We're always saying that we don't have time. To do things Like I don't have time to exercise or I don't have time to pray or I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to make that phone call, go see grandma, go have a cup of coffee with my friend. I don't have time. But the real issue is we don't utilize a lot of the time that we have efficiently. Because we spend a lot of time doing unnecessary things. Like worrying about things that never even happen or lamenting things that we don't have any control over. Paul tells it like this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on how many things? Say say it out loud. One thing. One thing. Don't get so overwhelmed trying to do 20 things until you can do one thing well. And that one thing this year I want is to forget the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. That's the one thing I want you to focus on. That's the one press I want you to take with you is to focus forward. Now, how do we do that? How to look forward? Number one, let go of what's holding you back. And what does that entail? You're going to have to forgive and forget some stuff. The stuff that you have been holding on to, you're never going to move forward trying to hold on to what's behind you. Let thankfulness replace Hatred and anger as your motivation for living. Some of, us, some of us have been so fueled by anger and by remorse and by bitterness that we think that's what we need to get going. But I want you this year to focus on thankfulness and let that replace bitterness. You know what it's like to go on social media. I'm sure most of you know what it's like to either go on social media or go on the internet or turn on the television and find article after article, post after post, uh, story after story of things that make you mad. They found out a long time ago that whatever they feed you that you will click on, that's what they're going to continually feed you. That's That's why your social media is called a feed. They're feeding you what you click on. And if you click on, watch, subscribe to things that infuriate you, guess what they're going to keep sending you? Things to make you upset. But I want you to know that the world could use a little more kindness. And the church should be the the forerunner of kindness. Can Can we recommit to what this church has always said, that we're uncommonly kind? That we can see the value in other people even when they don't see value in us back. I want you to change fuel this year. I want you to let everything you do come from a place of thankfulness. You know what that will do? It will change your conversations. It will change your relationships. It will change your ulcers. It will change your temper tantrums. If you will, Everything you do if it comes from a place of thankfulness. It'll change you. The second thing I want you to do is be present. You want to know what the robbers of joy is this, in this generation? It's that thing that you can't live without. It's that thing that you have a panic attack. If you leave your house, you say, well, It used to be your car keys. You would rather somebody steal your car than steal your phone now. They can steal the house, they can steal the car, they can have my 401k, but where is my phone? That thing, do you know that phones have been linked to depression and anxiety? Direct, there is a direct correlation to how much time you spend on that thing and how depressed and anxious you are. And here we are asking God to give us blessings while we're ignoring the ones that we already have. How many times have you went out to eat and saw a whole table of a family, sitting at a, a table, and mom and dad and all the kids talking to folks that ain't there and ignoring the ones that are, because that's what we have done, and we're not present. You're in church listening to what the great God Jehovah wants to say, and you got to talk to somebody that's not even present. And you talking to them who isn't present makes you not present. This year, I want to redeem more of my time. I want to make more of my opportunities that God has already given me instead of asking Him for more opportunities. I want to waste less time and I want to make sure that I'm using what He gave me before I ask Him to give me more. The third thing I want you to do is to speak less. Listen more and pray the most. Uh-huh. You've got two ears and only one mouth. You ought to listen at least twice as much as you talk. You know what I've noticed since we got addicted to our phones? People don't listen anymore. Have you been having a conversation with someone and you can tell that they're not listening to learn they're listening to respond and they're just waiting for you to slow down and take a breath so they can jump in and say what's on their mind because they're not listening to what you're saying. They've already formulated the next session of the story and they're going to jump in and they're not he- nobody is hearing each other anymore. We're not communicating anymore. So I, I want you to speak less, listen more, and pray the most. Slow down in this year. I know we're living in a fast-paced world, but that's the problem. We're outpacing common sense. I don't even have time to preach that this morning. And the next way I want you to do this, to to be pushing forward is I want you to promote generosity. Who somebody said I was with you until just now, preacher. You know what makes Christmas special? Do, 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 do you know what really makes... Some of you are going to say, Oh, it's the songs and it's the, it's the movies. You, you really want to know what makes Christmas special? Because it's the one time of the year where most everybody is as focused on giving as they are taken, And that doesn't happen any other time of the year except for Christmas. Christmas is that one time of the year where most everybody is at least as involved in the giving process as they are in the getting process. Can I tell you, I know the church gets a bad rap. I know that some of the the bad rap the church has received through the years, they've deserved it and earned it. But I have met some of the most generous, loving, kind people in God's kingdom that I could ever hope to meet. You don't know it, but every week when you walk into this room, you're walking by some of the most generous people that God ever gave breath into their lungs. And I'm thankful for generous people. And it's not always money that makes someone generous. And listen, and, and it's things that a lot of you never even pay attention to. If you've ever went up there and enjoyed a donut, you think you think they just show up? You think the angels show up like the manna from heaven in the Old Testament and just... <laughs> that, 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 that every Sunday morning, God just sends an angel, an angelic being in there, just... Ron Hall came to me years ago at the old church and said, Hey, I'd like to start bringing donuts. I said, Fantastic. And he started bringing a dozen. And then you kept multiplying. And we went to two dozen. Now he's up to at least three dozen and maybe more. And when Ron's not bringing them, when Ron misses, he only he misses one Sunday, but that's one Sunday every three Sundays. But that's another sermon for another time. And when he's not here, other people step up. And, and before you ever get up there and take one, somebody provided them donuts. That's, 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 that's operating in generosity. It's a gift. I want some more of you to take that challenge. You want me to bring three dozen? That's all I'm saying. I'm saying I want you to promote generosity in your own life. I've met some of the most generous people that, that I've ever known, and, and I'm blessed. Glenn is one of the most generous people. You won't know that about him. Some of y'all are like, he's mean. He, and he is. But he's generous and mean. I married one of the most generous people I've ever known. In my life, my, my wife is one of the most generous people that you're ever going to meet. Brent, laying out here in this hot sun, painting this wall. That's generosity. That's her that's promotion of generosity. <laughs> years ago, let me tell you how God works. When, when, you, when you promote generosity, years ago, I asked God for us to be able to give away big stuff. I was talking about myself. And it ended up being a a, a conglomeration. But I I asked God. I said, God, I want to give away big stuff. Because I heard about people doing it. I said, I want to give away. Because I knew if I had enough to be able to give away, that means I had enough. I said, I want to be able to give away big stuff. And it just so happens that me and two other people in this church were able to buy a used car for a single mom who broke down her and her babies trying to get up the hill to the old church. And that thing was held together by baling wire and christian bumper stickers <laughs> and three of us brothers in the church went and bought her a real good dependable car for her and her babies to go to work and to go to church in and god was able to supply that for us because i asked him i said god i want to be more generous i want to be more generous it's really a matter of perspective because a lot of people say, well, I just don't have anything. Do you realize that if you live in America, you're in the top 1% of the whole world when it comes to income? 1%. Look, you're rich. Congratulations, you made it. So let's, let's take a look at our final clip, and then we're going to draw this to a conclusion. <laughs>
2: as soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie, a toast. (laughs) To my big brother George, the richest man in town. (laughs) Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine.
3: Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings.
2: That's right. That's right. A boy, Clarence.
0: When the townspeople learned that George Bailey was in need, They jumped to help immediately. Do you want to know why? Because he had spent his whole life proving to people that they mattered more than stuff. And when he needed them, they were there for him. When you promote a lifestyle of generosity, I cannot stress enough the importance of living generously. Because if you want to attract God's attention to your life, be generous Be promoting generosity because when you invest in people instead of things, if you're willing to bless other people even while you're still waiting on a blessing yourself, you have put a bullseye on your life where God's favor is aimed directly at you. And you say, I don't believe that. Well, let me tell you why it happens that way. Because before you ever thought about giving, God gave first and God gave best. God showed us firsthand the value of one life. Because Christmas is about one life, one birth. We saw in the movie that Bedford Falls was a very different place When George Bailey was not alive. Can you imagine what the world would be like. If Jesus had never been born. Can you imagine the difference in this world. If Christians didn't exist. I know there's atrocities. I know there's crime. I know around the world. There are unspeakable things happening to people. I understand all that. But can you imagine how corrupt this world would be. How morally bankrupt The world would be if it wasn't for praying grandmothers. If it wasn't for matriarchs and patriarchs of the faith. Can you imagine how this world would look. If Jesus had never been born. And given us hope. That there is something to live righteously for. I know as bad as the world is. It certainly would be worse. The value of one life. The Bible tells us that without Jesus, we have no hope. Without Jesus, we have no peace. Paul tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is all he needed. He said, I knew religion, but I did not know God. I knew church, but I didn't know God. And it turns out what I really needed is one person, one man. I needed Jesus. Paul needed Jesus. And so do you. So do I. We all need Jesus. To Paul, it mattered that Jesus had been born. And whether you know it or not, it matters to you too. Because I know maybe you came this morning because you heard there was popcorn and prizes. Maybe you came this morning because somebody invited you and you said, "Well, it's Christmas time. I'll give I'll give grandma, I'll give grandpa, I'll give mom and dad, I'll give them I'll give them a treat. I'll go to church with them." Maybe maybe you think that's why you're here, but can I tell you that it matters that Jesus was born? Cuz I know you might think that you're self-made. I know that you might think you have put everything together in your life but without Jesus we all fall apart we're falling apart now we'll certainly fall apart later because if Jesus is not born into your life you have no hope this world, Ephesians chapter 2 and 17 says Jesus came and preached peace to you you know why? because there's no peace in this world There's no hope in this world. One life really mattered. His name is Jesus. Christmas time is a season of peace and goodwill toward all men. And with Jesus it can be. But if if you're living today without Jesus, your life is a lot like a present. It might look good on the outside, but there's nothing in it. You know, that this looks like a a big gift. Maybe it's got a beautiful bow on it, and it's somebody took the time to wrap paper on it, and, and and it looks like something that you might desire for somebody to give you at Christmas, but the truth of the matter is it's empty. And if Jesus hasn't been born into your life, you might have took a lot of time to decorate what you present. You might have put the bow on it. You might have put the paper on it. You might have taken a great lengths to present a nice package. But you know and I know you're empty. But there's hope. One life mattered. It mattered because it thought your life mattered. One life named Jesus. He was born he died and he lives again because you mattered you mattered to him you mattered to heaven and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time it's not about presents and it's about putting Jesus at the center of everything we do because I don't want to get a present with nothing inside of it and you don't want to present yourself that way either So Jesus warned us that a thief would try to come and steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I've come that you might have abundant life. Can I tell you a story before we get on to the the prizes and the giveaways? What does life more abundant look like? I've always wondered. And then I started thinking. Some of y'all are going to think less of me. When I tell you this story, but in in August, my wife and I celebrated our 30-year wedding anniversary, and by doing that, yeah, yeah, okay, I got a lot of crowns coming my way when I get to heaven. I said, if we're going to fly all the way to California, and it's 30 years, and we're spending this money anyway, I'm going to go first class. I didn't go back there and coach with the peons. We sat in first class. And in first class, the seats are wider. And there's more leg room. And they bring you snacks and drinks until you have to tell them to stop. It's not like that behind the curtain. There's only a little curtain separating the first class and the rest of them. But there's a whole lot of separation going on. There's a class system up there. And, and you don't get all that attention in the back. They come back, would you like a hot towel? Well, yes, I would. Would you like a pillow? Absolutely. I didn't even know that was an option on these things. They don't get pillows back there. No hot towels, treatment in the back of the plane where the common folk are. It's only up here in first class. Can I tell you that we didn't get there any faster than the coach people did? We all landed at the same time. But I sure had a more comfortable ride. So what does abundant life look like? You can be going to church and have religion and not have an abundant life. And you might end up in the same place I end up. We might all end up in heaven together if you've received Jesus. But what he, he doesn't want you to just receive him to get to heaven. He wants to give you more comfort now, more peace now, more, more hope now. I didn't arrive in California faster than the coach people did, but my seat was upgraded. Jesus wants to upgrade your life this morning. Wherever you are, He wants to give you an upgrade. Wherever you are in life, if you've received Him as your Savior, then that's great. There's more. If you are still trying to fill the void of life with other things, I want you to know you're never going to find happiness. You're never going to find true peace. You won't find it in a bottle, you won't find it in pills, you won't find it in relationships, you won't find it in careers, you won't find it in success, you won't find it in a paycheck. There is hope and peace through Jesus Christ and that's it and that's all. He does what nothing else can do. And I didn't come here to belabor the point this morning, but I want you to know he wants wants to give you more. We're about to enter into a new season, a new new year, where everybody says, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to get control of my finances. Before you get into all that stuff and you start working out like a fiend and buying gym memberships that you ain't going to use and getting a treadmill delivered that's going to become a coat rack in about three months, before you start doing all that, I want you to start putting what is really important first how's your soul are you empty or are you full I want you to be full of peace I want you to be full of love I want you to be full of generosity and compassion I want you to be going forward I want you to be excited about living I know there's wars I know there's uh, economy is down and I, I know all of that but I want you to be excited about life because he came to give you an abundant life and if you need that if you need to be filled with hope, filled with peace, filled with kindness, filled with generosity, I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I want you to just close your eyes, and as they get ready to sing, I just want you to spend some time talking to your Father. I, I, I just, I just want you to say, "I want to go and I, I, I want to do this right. I don't want to be empty." And you can be full of a lot of things and empty in others. I want you to be full of kindness. I want you to be full of joy. I want you to be full of peace. Because all of these things are promised to you. I don't want you to be a gift that looks good. Some of y'all look good. Some of y'all. Some of y'all look good. I don't want you to just look good. I want you to be good. I want you to feel His presence on the inside. So while they sing, I want you to spend some time... We're about to go into Christmas and everything's going to get chaotic. you got some family members that's coming. You're going to need the peace of God in your life. So you love them and not something else. Father, we love you this morning. Let your peace come over your children. Wash over us like waves of... Love and kindness and compassion, and peace, and generosity. A gentleness reigned in this place. God, I need you. Fill me, Lord. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me.